We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. All right, welcome to this special episode of Build in Public. We are here talking with JC Pohl, who just released a book called Rising Above, A Story of Positive School Conflict Resolution. And this is a pretty cool process that he went through. So we're going to ask him to reveal some secrets here because I think it's pretty cool. So let's start, JC, by this book is not like other books. This is a narrative story teaching nonfiction principles. Tell us about that approach first and foremost. Yeah, well, my background's in film, so I've always been really attracted to story and characters. And when I think about just across my life, the stories and things I remember the most, right, are the films and stories and characters that really impacted me. So when we set out to write a book on school conflict, we didn't want to write like a dry book about like how to handle conflict and what you should do for X, Y, and Z. We really felt like a story would be something that the audience and the readers could hold with them. And we try to create characters where it's like if the educator or the teacher who read the book was going through a situation, maybe she would be able to relate back to the characters in our book that already had handled that situation. So when I approached our publisher about it, it was kind of interesting. So our publisher, Josie Bass, they do a lot of educational books. And they said this was the first of its kind, like within the education arena. So I was really excited to kind of launch that with them. And having written it now, like I think it really did turn out well for things that we were hoping it would do. Uh, and they've done not Josie Bass, but other 
publishing companies have done books that are narrative in structure for business type things like The Go-Giver is one popular one. Mm -hmm. And are, there are several others that I can't think of right now. A Useful Belief is another one that's similar to that. So I, I like this narrative type approach. And what's so good about a narrative approach is that you can get different lessons out of it than what the author explicitly states, which I think is pretty powerful. Yeah, it really gives you that I think it gives you complete freedom because it's all fictional. And I grew up like loving Law and Order. It's one of my favorite shows. And I always loved the beginning where it would always say rip from the headlines, you know, yeah. it was like what the stories were based on. And so we got to just literally rip stuff from the headlines and put it into the book that administrators and teachers are dealing with. But we could go anywhere we wanted and the characters could go anywhere they wanted. And so that really gave us a lot of freedom to explore different levels of school conflict that were like... Mm maybe not as easy, like you said, for just a single author to jump into. Yeah, so you've interviewed a bunch of experts about it. Can you talk about the process of where in the timeline you had the interviews, the book writing, the partnering with Ryan McKernan, yeah. is that how you say his name? And yeah. what that looked yeah. like? Yeah, Ryan's been a good partner of mine. So he's, he's worked with me on all of the books. So this is the fourth book that I've written by myself. And Ryan's kind of been that ghostwriter behind me, really pulling everything together. So I come in conceptually. You know, my job when I was working in film was more as a producer, kind of coming in with the story, the characters, and the content. Um, but then Ryan kind of helps tie it together. He's a phenomenal writer, and he's been a good partner of mine. Um, so that's exactly what we did. We kind of got together, drank some beers, laid out the, you know, laid out like the content, like what's the outline of this? What are we trying to teach? We came up with the character of Monica. Monica is the school counselor in the book that's basically working through all this conflict and kind of modeling what it looks like to handle this conflict. And, and then we wrote a detailed outline of everything Monica would be dealing with. I went and ripped stuff from the headlines from Facebook groups and from the real headlines like CNN or whatever of just crazy things that school boards and educators are dealing with. And then we just worked in this outline and then Ryan, you know, built it, you know, Ryan's really good at like doing the small stuff, like what the character would be doing and like mm -hmm. what the scenes would actually look like. And then I went and found the experts to kind of back up what we we're trying to teach in that scene. And we found like different levels of experts. So everyone from like a school board president to a principal, we had a school counselor, we had an activity director. And I basically just interviewed them um, the same way you're interviewing me right now, like on video. And we just kind of, we just asked them questions about every situation that Monica would be dealing with. And we said, how would you handle this? What would you do differently? And then we just worked that into Monica's story, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the cool thing was, is we were left with, if when you read the book, there's a, a URL in the book where you can click and you can actually see, you know, the, the interviews that I did with these experts if you wanted to. Yeah. And they're good also um, because you ask great questions and they they have great experiences to share. And so definitely would suggest people go check that out. The thing that I think is so cool about this is that, you know, I've done hundreds of interviews for my podcast, Transformative Principle, and I'm learning something new in every single one of them. And sometimes it's hard to infuse all those lessons into my writing. And I see what you did with this where uh, you didn't have to force it in like in an academic or nonfiction type book where you have to bring in the quote just perfectly. One of the cool things about this book that I love how it turned out is there are excerpts from Monica's journal at the end mm -hmm. of e not each, but most of the chapters where she reflects on the leadership qualities or the conflict resolution qualities that she learned from these different people, which are the people that you 
interviewed and they were her mentors who taught her. Yeah. So I just think the way that you brought that together and those excerpts are like jotted down bullets. They're not like, here's the site citation and the source and you know, the academic language around it. It's like what a real person would do. And I just think that that approach makes this book so consumable by the person who's reading it so that it's not like there's some deep intellectual academic stuff in here, but it doesn't come across that way. So tell us a little bit about why you felt it was so important to deliver it in such a way that it'd be relatable and approachable for people. Yeah, well, that's kind of my theory with all the books I've written. Like some of my favorite books are the most simple books I've ever read because I love reading business books and you know, like you said, some books just get so heavy and so long. And it's like, I just want teachers to be able to read this. And like you said, consume it and learn from it. Remember how Monica handled stuff. Remember maybe what some of the experts said, like you said, in the journal entries. And that was really the focus is I really try to keep in mind the third year to maybe like the seventh or eighth year teacher. So I'm not trying to write a book for the principal that's been in education for 30 years, maybe. I'm trying to like build this bridge to get these younger teachers or younger administrators to realize like how they can work through this conflict. And I felt the best way to do that was to, like you said, boil it down on their level with real life situations, with real life people giving the advice. Um, and these are people I trust that I've met on the road over the years with Teen Truth. So I knew the advice would be solid. And I just thought if we could build something easy that they could hold with them and that Monica could kind of be that character that models what it looks like to handle this conflict that maybe when they're in that conflict, they would remember what she said or remember what one of my experts said. And um, we were really hoping that the journal would be something that people could highlight. You know, you're always going through books and you feel, oh, that's something great. I need to remember to highlight that or whatever. It's like, we thought the journals at the end of the chapters would do that for people. It's like, hey, yeah. here's the bullet points you need to remember. Like, this is what she did and this is why she did it. And so, yeah, yeah so it's kind of fun to, to write that. Yeah. Okay. So let's last question here. Let's talk mm. about the business decision of bringing a writer to help you. Why make that choice? And a lot of people are like, Oh, I can't afford to spend this money to pay this person to do this. How do you reconcile that and manage that in your own mind? Well, for me, like I said, this is the fourth book that Ryan and I have worked on together. So I know the value that he brings and we didn't get too much in, in this podcast, but I travel. So I speak in schools. I do a lot of work across the country. I'm constantly on the road. So my ability to sit down and write a book as well as my own talents to sit down and write a book aren't at the same level as Ryan's. Like he is a writer, he's a good writer and he's really worth his weight in gold. Um, but what I have found working with him and probably working with most like ghost writers is that they're hungry to make money as a writer. It's, it's right. hard to make money as a writer. So if I can offer him $2,000 there, $3,000 here, you know, I send him a bonus check every now and when the book sells well, yeah. like he is, ha he is happy, you know, cause he made money as a writer. And those are things that like not every writer gets to do. So it's been a really great partnership with me and him. And he's written most of the stuff on our website. Like he is a fundamental part of Teen Truth and what we're doing. I really rely on him. Like every blog I send out goes through him. And so, yeah, it really is a partnership where I don't want to say a percentage, but we're using the JC poll name and the teen truth name to kind of lead the sales and the push of the book. So I don't know what the percentage would be. I just say that's 80% of what the public sees and Ryan's kind of the 20% behind it. it's that 20% that like holds everything together and gets everything going. And totally. then I got to go out and hit the road and sell it. Right. And I've got to, yeah. and so this was our first book that we did together. 
where we got an advance from a publisher. So that was kind of cool for him because everything else we've done has just been on spec. It's been like, hey, Ryan, I want to do this book. I'll pay you this money when I make the money. (laughs) And so he's always had, and that's what we do in film, right? That's where the background of film was like, you always do a back end deal. So you tell the actor, you tell the director, like, hey, when we make money, you're going to make this. And when I would get to send Ryan those checks, it was like proud. You know, I was like proud of those moments. Like, heck yeah, man, here's your check. We made money on it. We said we're going to do it and we did it. And so he and I have just grown that relationship over the years. And this deal was the same thing, only we got paid up front. So that was kind of cool. So oh, we, yeah, all, that's, we enjoyed that. Hallelujah. That's always yeah, good. Like, we actually got paid to write a book. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, so like awesome. he and I left. So we had fun with it. I cool. feel very blessed to have found him. That's awesome. Great. I appreciate you pulling back the curtain a little bit on this. Thanks for being here. Again, JC Poll, Teen Truth Net, Rising Above, A Story Positive, School Conflict Resolution. Go check that out. Thank you again for being part of this Build in Public episode. All right, JC, so great to have you on the podcast again. Can you tell us about your book, Rising Above? What makes it unique and different from most books that educational leaders are going to get? Yeah, no, thanks, Jethro. I'm really excited to be here. I think what makes this book unique is that we really took the time to write it in a narrative format. You know, so many education books out there are written by great experts, great people who have a lot of knowledge, but they kind of lay out the information in a very dry way. And so my background's in film, so I've always loved stories and characters and great shows and movies. And as I thought about teaching on school conflict, I thought the easiest thing for us to do if we wanted people to really learn how to handle conflict is to write it in a story. And that way the characters are our main character in the book. Her name is Monica. She's a school counselor. And Monica spends the time like modeling what it looks like to handle these behaviors and handle this type of conflict. And I think when you reflect on stories and characters, it's the great stories and the characters that we remember and stick with us. And what I was hoping that would happen is that educators who might be down the road after reading this book and entering real conflict in their life might remember what Monica had went through and how she handled it and be able to pull that forward into the situation that they're dealing with. And what I really like about that is that it makes it very readable for an educator. You get pulled into the story and you don't worry so much all the things that you have to, you know, when we read academic or nonfiction books or things like that, that where we're trying to learn something, we kind of get sucked into learning mode and not in uh, enjoying mode. And it was very easy to get in enjoying mode in this book very quickly from the first page where they're making an omelet. Um, And I think that there's some real power there. So one of the big lessons from this book is to connect first and then collaborate on a solution. And what I loved about this is that this is what I've been saying for years myself, not as eloquently and not in book form, but I've had so many situations where people have parents have come in or teachers have come in and they're just fuming mad and they walk out and we're like best buds. And for me, this comes pretty naturally because I feel like I've been blessed with these skills of being able to manage this. Uh, but a lot of people get super defensive, like I get defensive with my kids and it doesn't happen with my kids, but it does happen with strangers and other people. I can be in control then. That's a whole other episode on a different (laughs) podcast. A whole different book. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that people need to be aware of in order to connect with people with whom they're disagreeing or in conflict? 
Yeah, I think like when we hear the word conflict, all of us just jump to like hand grenades and knife fights in the street, right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's always used in such a negative way. But when conflict can be handled appropriately, it's really an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to build relationship and it's an opportunity for it in a positive way. Conflict usually doesn't come to a point or to a head unless there's a reason for it, right? And so I think like that's what Monica is and what we're really trying to teach in the book is that there's opportunity here. And like you said, if we can connect and we can relate at the human level, then we can usually find a solution. And that solution can like, it's not necessarily a my way or the highway solution, right? Like most people might think, oh, if I'm gonna sit down with the school principal, it's gonna be his way or the highway. And it's like, that might not be true. Like in connecting with each other, maybe we can come up with a new solution for little Johnny that's really gonna help, or we can find a new angle here on campus that's gonna help kids down the road. And none of that happens if the conversation doesn't take place. And I think, especially in today's day and age where everything's boiled down to text messages and Facebook posts and emails, like that human connection is just so important when it comes to working through conflict because the text messages and emails obviously don't have the personality and the relational stuff that we all have when we sit down together face to face. And I think that's something that we really, as we started building the book out, like it was clearly apparent to us, you know, we interviewed a lot of experts for this book and this was a theme across everybody. Connect before you try to correct. Because if you go in a situation, you try to correct something without the connection, you just, you're setting yourself up for a difficult situation, basically. Yeah, totally. And the thing that I find so fascinating is that we all know that, right? And yet we forget it. Why do we forget it? Yeah. I think it's just, like I said, I think when we hear the word conflict, even with my wife and I, like, it's just like, you think of conflict and you just get this negative connotation to it where it's like, no, this is actually an opportunity. Like we might have conflict around what, what time the kids go to bed or something. It's like, well, this is an opportunity for us to discuss, you know, now our son's 10. So do we need to adjust the bedtime? Let's have a conversation about it. What does he think? What does he need? And I think that we've just been trained from a, from maybe our families of origin. Like, I don't know, just who we are as people, what's going on in America and the world these days. It sounds like everyone's in so much conflict. And the saddest thing for me is like the families sometimes that get in conflicts where you hear about the brother and sister that don't talk to each other anymore. The parents that don't talk to their kids anymore because of something that happened 20 years ago. And it's like, everyone needs to readjust their navigation every now and then. And conflict is an opportunity to make that adjustment. And so if we're not afraid of that, really good stuff can come out of it. I think that's what I've seen as a counselor too. I'll get people in my counseling office where they're so afraid to talk about stuff, but as a counselor, I get to get in there and be like, kind of pull the top off stuff and be like, hmm, this is kind of what I'm hearing you say. And then once I flush it out, like now we're having really good conversation. Now we're moving forward. For some reason, we just, I don't know if it's just people today, but we struggle with that. We struggle with that. Yeah. I don't think it's just people today. I think it's been happening for a long time. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about situations that I'm currently in and that I've been in in the past where I've seen conflict be positive and where I've seen it be negative. And there are so many examples and I don't want to go too deep into any one of them because I want to just pull out some of these high level things that people can apply to whatever conflict they're dealing with. And one of those is this idea of understanding that whatever the other person's position, if you can acknowledge that they are at least 10% right, 
and acknowledge where they're 10% right about something. That goes a long way to connecting and to collaborating. So that's one of the things I'll just tell this brief story because yeah, I think sure. it's so good. My kids were really sucking at doing their chores and they're 11 to 17. So they're old enough to know how to do chores well, but young enough that they will still slack and get away with it as much as they can, right? And I love them, they're great kids. And we sat down one night uh, and we were talking and I was like, let's play this game where we give an idea and then you say, there's 10% right in that. What I like about that idea is blank and here's how I wanna expand on that idea. And so we did this and we went around and we talked about the issue of the chores not being done well. And we came up with a solution. They have a chore chart and I would put a little star on whatever chore was done the best each day. And this was the solution that we came up with after like 20 minutes of discussion and sharing ideas. Really positive, good, energetic, great conversation. It was really good. And my kids have done a great job with their chores since then. And that was like a month and a half ago, two months yeah. ago. And so because we connected, then we collaborated. We recognized that each other had something of value to add and we could add to that. Then it turned this why don't you kids do your chores into this great conversation of how can we all do better? What step do we all need to take to do better? And those kinds of situations where you can acknowledge that somebody has a point and it doesn't have to be as divisive as we typically make things really made that one situation powerful. What would you add there, JC? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right on it. And what you did right there is you gave your kids a voice in the situation, which created ownership for them, right? So like they felt when they were executing the plan that you guys developed, that they had ownership in that plan. And so they were kind of able to move forward. You know, there's a great story in the book where Monica and well, she actually coaches one of the other teachers through it. But this is a true story from our community. We're in our Facebook group. Our school does this big jogathon. It's this huge jogathon yeah. or whatever. It's, they make a bunch of money. And so we fictionalize it in the book. But like all these people in the Facebook group were getting so upset with the school because the jogathon company takes a big percentage of the money they raise. Yeah. But they raise like an insane amount of money compared to everybody else. Yep. And so in the book, when the character's dealing with this, and this is what all the experts I interviewed, like they all said, well, basically you got to pull in this keyboard warrior, this dad who's out there causing all these issues on Facebook, sit him down, explain the situation, and then like invite him to help you solve it. Like, hey, buddy, do you have another idea? Like we need to raise $30,000 for a new playground. If you don't think the jogathon is the way to do it, like how else can we do it? Yeah. And then what usually happens is you get down the road because you're kind of the expert because you're in the field, you know. You get down the road and the dad kind of realizes, wow, the Jogathon company is actually the best way to raise this money. And even though they are taking a percentage, it's actually worth it because they're producing such a big product in the end. And, and so, again, now the dad has ownership, hopefully, feels part of the process. We've made that connection to collaborate, like you said. And that's exactly what you just did with your kids in the example you gave. And I think any conflict that we're introduced to, we need to be curious and I think that's what I really took away from writing the book. And we need to ask questions. If we can go into conflict asking questions, then hopefully we come to some solutions afterwards. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And what came about from this story was, I'll just read the last paragraph in that chapter because I think it was yeah. good. 
Harvey still wasn't the sort of person that Dale would choose to hang out with, but at the very least he helped him to realize that this was really a marketing issue and probably not much more. And reading the stories that led up to that conflict resolution, it felt like so much more than a marketing issue. And so many times our problems feel like more than what they actually are. And yet there's typically a pretty easy solution. There's typically a pretty clear path to why somebody has this misunderstanding. And it was just because Dale, the guy did, or sorry, Dale was the teacher. He was a teacher, Harvey, yeah, the other guy. Yeah. Harvey, the guy was like, they're taking all this money. We're wasting money. This is ridiculous. And it's like, okay, that's a valid concern that you think that that's happening. It totally fine if you think we're wasting money. However, do you really understand everything that goes into it? Do you really understand all the background? And if you don't, guess whose fault that is? That's Dale's the teacher. He mm -hmm. should have been able to explain, this is what the issue is. This is what you need to understand about why we're making this decision. And oftentimes, especially in schools, we do that a ton where we make decisions and we think, okay, because we made this decision, every parent's going to agree with it because we have the kid's best interest at heart. But we don't go through all that process of helping people understand why we made that decision. What advice do you have for schools as they make decisions to help parents understand why they're making that decision? Yeah, Jethro, I mean... It's hard. It's like schools are so big. There are so many things moving in so many different directions. Administrators and teachers are dealing with so much every day. Um, but I think like what I learned in the book is that we still have to go out of our way to make the face-to-face -face connections as much as we can, the relational connections as much as we can. And I think all of us, all of us are guilty of this. All of us are guilty of basically relying on a digital app or an email or a text message to communicate something that maybe needs to be communicated in more, right? And so anything that we can do to get out in front of it, to, to front load situations with information, like you said in the paragraph you read, like that was a marketing issue. You know, one of the things our superintendent started doing here in our district where I live is she started doing weekly videos where she's literally on camera. You know, she's talking more about high level district stuff, but it's like, she's trying to be a personality in these people's lives. So at least on YouTube, they're seeing her, they're meeting her. And maybe when they have an issue, like she'll have some credibility built up with them. And I think like as an educator and administrator, if you can be doing that, like communicating with parents out in front of it, building that relationship with them, that way, when you do deal with the issue on the back end, you hopefully have that relational component built already. But you know, it's hard. There are so many different facets in it. Like what you and I think might upset someone, it could be something totally different that we didn't even prepare for. You know? well, I think this was a good case and because I did get to kind of rip it from the headlines in our community where it was like, these people didn't really realize that the group doing the jogathon was actually doing an exceptional job at what they do. They just happened to be taking a percentage of it. I think people felt sideswiped. That's the word I would use. They felt like they were figuring this out on the backside, like it was like some sort of a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, they're taking all this money. It was like, it's all in all the literature. If you go to the company's website, it probably even says it on their website. It's in the contract they signed with the district. Like none of this was hidden. Yeah. But, you know, the people felt like it was hidden. And that's really where the conflict came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that such a good lead into my next question, which was, there are so many things that feel like a conspiracy because people 
are in the know. And this is part of that marketing issue, you know, that there's not the communication that there needs to be to help people see what is really going on. But it's so hard to do all of that communication and there's so much on your plate. And it's like every school really needs a full-time PR person, but how in the world would you even justify that? It's impossible, there's no way because it doesn't make any sense when it comes down to it. So principals and teachers are asked to be these PR specialists that can tell the story and tell why we're doing things, but that doesn't happen all the time or very well often. And so what would be your advice about getting information out there in a way that, you know, your superintendent's doing videos, that's great, but maybe somebody's not good at that. Maybe that's not their skill set. Maybe that just won't work. What other ideas do you have for people to front load information? Yeah, I think everything you said is really accurate. But unfortunately, in today's world, administrators and school leaders are in the situation where they do need to have PR and they do need yeah. to market things. If you think about it, I don't know, every state I'm sure is different, but here in Texas where I live, like every kid that's in a seat amounts to revenue in the school budget, right? And every kid that shows up amounts to revenue. So we are in a marketing. It's no different than a Taylor Swift concert or a Seattle Seahawks game. Like every person that buys a ticket brings in revenue. And so I think like school leaders do need to think in an entrepreneurial way, like what are the things that we're doing to make sure we keep our audience happy and our butts in the seats, right? Yeah. Same way just any other consumer-based brand would do. And I think that's what educators need to realize, especially school leaders, is they are leading a brand. They are leading an experience. The way it feels when you walk in your school, the way it feels when people relate to you, connect with your brand is really important. And so, I would encourage educators, you know, school leaders are so good at doing professional development events and going to conferences and stuff. Maybe take the time to read a marketing book. I was looking on, it's not here. It's, I thought it'd be behind me, but there's a great book called Made to Stick. And it's one of the best marketing books I've ever read. And it will teach you the core of like what marketing is all about. Like, I know you're reading books on leadership. I know you're reading books on like PBIS and stuff. Can you read a book on marketing? Can you read a book on PR or finance or just other things that a business person might read and just spend a little time on that or look up a YouTube video or two on that? And just like, just realizing like, that's part of your job. The same way we're seeing Deion Sanders do it with Colorado football right now. Like he's a marketing genius, right? And so he's winning games because he's out there being Deion Sanders. Every school leader needs to have some of that inside of them too. Yeah, so on that note, there's the idea of marketing to parents, but then there's also the idea of partnering with parents. And I am firmly in the camp that education is the responsibility of the parents and the state or schools, private schools or public schools, step in to assist parents with that. So how do you help schools, what's your advice to help schools partner with parents instead of dictate to parents that this is how we're gonna educate your kids? Yeah, it is that two-way street, right? Now I'm with you too. I think as I travel the country, I visit, I, mean, I probably visit over a hundred schools a year. And I think the hardest thing with what you just said is that like not every family and every student is playing with a full deck when it comes to parent involvement. And so while theoretically what you said is like, I believe too, doesn't always play out in reality. So I like the first step of that, that a school leader can really be focused on as well as a teacher is like inviting parents in into the process more. You know, I know we're doing parent nights. I know we do like student parent conferences, 
but anything else we can do to like get parents on campus and get parents involved. I mean, I go to some communities where I speak and I'll have 150 people show up to a parents night. I'll go to other communities and I'll have five. Yeah. Exact same program, you know, marketed probably the exact same way, but one's got a dramatically bigger turnout. So that's a hard, it's a very hard question to ask, but I think like what needs to be in the educator's heart is what you said. <laughs> and as long as it's in our heart, hopefully the outcome and the way we move forward will create the results of, of what you mentioned. Um, and that comes down to a lot of communication and everything that we've talked about for the last 20 minutes is trying to get out in front of this and excite parents about the opportunity to be that partner and work with their students and how so many great things happen within that schooling process and parents are a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I would add is that you need to bring parents into the school, but you also need to be willing to go out of the school to the yes. parents. You, you can't think that everybody is going to be able, willing, and excited to come into the school for yeah. anything. We went to just a quick story. We went to a school outside of Dallas once where they did some sort of a, it was like a scavenger hunt or something. All the teachers had to do during a PD day yeah. and they were sending people to kids' homes to like whatever. You had to get a picture with a parent and get a picture with a mascot. Like they, they had things they had to do like in the home and like parents loved it. But what teachers really said is it opened to their eyes of like the environment their kids are living in and just really kind of changed their view on some of the work they're doing with their kids. And so, yeah, like that outreach is so great, you know, for building community. And, and that goes back to like the whole concept between about made to stick and the idea that we are marketing the services that we're offering to these students and these families. And so mm -hmm. just like Disney or Hilton or Marriott would have to do, we should be doing things that are similar. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note about that story, I did a a thing in my school where we went out to, uh, we visited the home of every kid before the school start school year started. And it was, this was in Kodiak, Alaska, big coast guard population there. And uh, if you're not familiar with the military, sometimes housing is not ready when the person gets there. So one family was living in an airstream that they drove across the country to get up to Alaska. And we went and visited that family at their airstream. And uh, what the mom, communicated to us after that was I am on your team 100% because you found us in this airstream and in a campground and still came and visited us. Yeah. And if anybody's thinking about doing this, I totally encourage you to do it, but I want to caution you just a little bit that if it becomes about any kind of judging the families that you're serving, then you're doing it wrong. And if that's what it's about and saying like, oh, how sad that these kids live here or these kids don't have enough or anything like that, it is so easy, JC, to fall into that trap of judging where your kids are at. It's going to destroy it. It's not about judging where they're at or even like understanding where they're coming from. It's about you being willing to leave and show that you are supporting them, whatever that is. And that would be my cautionary tale if anybody is thinking about doing this, having done it myself. There's real power in it and you can build some real positive relationships, but you can also go the other way and ruin some relationships if you're not cautious about that judging piece. And so 
that's something that I think is so powerful to get out into families' homes and see them and care about them. And like, there's a whole ton of issues around that also, like sending one school official to somebody's house that can be seen in a very negative light. In fact, in another yeah. district I was in, they were like, uh, government employees showing up at somebody's property is not a good idea. You're going to get shot. You don't want to do this. And yeah. and those are things that you just need to be aware of. You need to know your community, understand what they would be open to and not open to, but don't be afraid of it. Like, don't say, because one person said that, we're not going to do anything like this recognize that maybe you need to take a different approach and call the parent beforehand and don't just show up at a random time. Yeah. Or, do or, or maybe as you're talking to like, you, we're giving the example of going to someone's house, but it could be like, just as far as like getting into that community more. So yeah, the local church being like, like almost like a politician would do when they're running for office, like being at these events, these lunches, like whatever it might yeah. look like that, yeah. that maybe the grandma and the aunt and the community are there and they can tell the mom and the dad how great it was to meet this principal or this teacher. But yeah, really thinking about how you can like get out there and build relationships. You know, I think a politician is a good example. Like they're out there trying to you know, shake hands and kiss babies and build relationships. And that could look different for every type of family, like you're pointing out. So yeah. success with one family might look very different than success with another family. Yeah, for sure. So once again, the book is Rising Above, and it is a story of positive conflict resolution. JC Pohl, thank you so much for being here on the podcast and I appreciate all your insight. This was a great chat. I'm, I'm so glad every time we get to talk. Heck yeah. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Resilient Schools and Transformative Principle podcast. I'm doing this as a simulcast because I think that this episode specifically is going to be beneficial for both these different podcasts with their different approaches. This is also part of our family engagement series that we're doing that a lot of the issues that we're going to talk about relate to conflict with members of the community who are the families in your schools. So I think that this will be really valuable. I've got JC Pohl here of Teen Truth, and he is an award-winning producer, nationally recognized speaker, and certified counselor who has reached more than 12 million people with his efforts to build school culture and empower student voice. He has produced groundbreaking programs such as Teen Truth and Rising Up, and award-winning content for companies such as Warner Brothers, ESPN, and Disney. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and can be reached on Facebook or LinkedIn or directly at jcpoll.com. JC, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Jethro. Always fun to have a conversation with you and uh, hopefully talk some fun stuff about educating kids. Yeah, so right now on the B Podcast Network, we're doing a lot of stuff around family engagement. And I thought that your book, Rising Above, talking about a story of positive school conflict resolution was really powerful. There were a lot of good examples in there about different ways to overcome conflict, but specifically we're talking a lot about uh, parent issues and um, without telling you about that, you even brought up a parent issue example from the book, which was the one that I was going to bring up. And it just so happened that you did that. And I appreciate that. This book is really great. Definitely a different type of approach, which we'll talk about in a second also, but what 
do you think people should take away from our conversation today? Well, what I'm hoping from the conversation today is that there's applicable things that you can take away and use right now. Like every podcast I listen to, it's either for entertainment or because I want something. And I know as a school leader, as an educator, you're on this podcast because you want to be better. You want to help build culture. You want to get kids to, re, you know, your schools to be resilient and your teachers to be successful. And so in this podcast, I think we gave some really good examples of like, strategies and techniques that you can take away right now and start using in your school to whether deal whether it's dealing with conflict or whether it's just building connectedness across your campus. Yeah, I think that's great. The thing that I really appreciate about this conversation is that, and I just want to say real quick, if you're listening to this and you find something that is valuable, reach out to either one of us and tell us because so many times we put these out into the ether and I know people are listening because I can see the downloads. I can see all this stuff, but JC may not know that anybody ever listens to it. And it would mean the world to him if you reached out and said, Hey, I heard you on Jethro's podcast. And this is what I took away from that. So if that does happen, yes, just reach out. And anytime anybody reaches out, I'm just so ecstatic that somebody does. So I think for me, the real thing that I got here was that we really need to understand what we're doing as leaders of schools as it relates to marketing and getting the right information out there about our schools so that people understand where we're coming from, why we're doing the things that we're doing. That was a big thing to me. That's something that I've believed for a long time and I learned some new things from our conversation time. So I thank you for that. Once again, the book is Rising Above, A Story of Positive School Conflict Resolution by JC Pohl. And we'll get to that interview here in just a moment. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.